Alrighty, hello again, everyone, and welcome to it. It is the Derek Henry Podcast for the 11th day of January, 2022. That I am certain. Happy yeah, it's Wednesday. Awesome Wednesday. I'm Derek Hunter. I am your host. Appreciate you listening, downloading, sharing, telling a friend, and all that good stuff. Thank you so much for that. Keep spreading the word. And keep going to patreon.com slash Derek Hunter podcast and voting in the poll. It looks like it's an overwhelming thing, but there's a lot more of you listening than have voted, as is always the case. Or you can email me, Derek Allen Hunter at gmail.com. Whether or not the show should stay the same length, go longer, be shorter. Become a Cliff Notes version of the news, what have you. Plus, you can enter to win the contest. You can support the show. You can get extra bonus content. All kinds of stuff there. Or uh, you can, well, the only place to poll is is at patreon.com slash Derek Hunter Podcast. But if Patreon ain't your cup of meat, go there, vote anyway. And then you can support the show at locals, at DerekHunter.locals.com. All right. I want to get the show started so it doesn't go super duper long. So let's get on with it. Cue the breaking news. This is CNN Breaking News. And we begin our coverage tonight with the breaking news that we're following. Classified government documents found inside one of President Biden's private offices. The records dating from Biden's time as vice president during the Obama administration. What? Now, wait a second. I'm old enough to remember that when classified, quote-unquote, documents were discovered at Mar-a-Lago, it required... An FBI raid. It required, you know, the SWAT team catapult or what do you, what do they do? Repelling down from helicopters to get in there, breaking glass, making sure that nobody had any security cameras on. All hell broke loose. Wild speculation all over CNN. Were there nuclear codes down there? Uh, no. I mean, look, if nuclear codes are written down on a piece of paper, first of all. I would suspect that from one administration to another, they changed the nuclear codes. I'd also suspect that uh, maybe on occasion they changed the nuclear codes too. Like your Gmail prompts you to change your password every three months because there's some deep, dark web data breach. Oh, you know what? This could be compromised. Why don't you change your password to the point that you can't even remember what the hell the old one was. So the nuclear codes are all just uh, password? God, I hope John Podesta didn't set the password for the nuclear codes. It'd be password 1234. We'd be screwed. But it was an outrage back at the time when these classified documents were found at Mar-a-Lago. An absolute outrage. In fact, we have somebody called Joseph Robinette Biden who commented on the classified documents being found at Mar-a-Lago. He was outraged. It was disgusting. He was shocked. He was interviewed by 60 Minutes in one of the, uh, well, I think he did seven interviews last year. Seriously, it was, some, it was less than 10 sit-down interviews last year, if you don't count the weird trans person who came in and, uh, you know, pretending to be a girl online who asked him a question. If that doesn't, if appearing on that dude's show, if you don't count that, I think it was less than 10. I actually think the number was seven. Interviews Joe Biden did last year. One of them was with Scott Pelley of CNN, who's honestly 
If you told me he was a trans girl, I'd probably believe you. He's certainly a trans living rent-free in Biden's rear end person. But Pelley asked him about Donald Trump's mishandling of classified documents. Oh, the mishandling of classified documents. And Joe Biden was pretty unequivocal about how just shocked and disgusted and disturbed he was that any how could anybody be so damned irresponsible that they mishandled something that was, you know, stamped with a rubber stamp that says uh, top secret or classified or whatever. Here's here's the president of the United States expressing his outrage. When you saw the photograph of the top secret documents laid out on the floor at Mar-a-Lago, what did you think to yourself? looking at that image how that could possibly happen how one anyone could be that irresponsible and i thought what data was in there that may compromise sources and methods by that i mean names of people who helped or etc and it's just uh, totally irresponsible and you don't know what was in those documents I have not asked for the specifics of those documents because I don't want to get myself in the middle of whether or not the Justice Department should move or not move on certain actions they can take. I, I've agreed I would not tell them what to do and not, in fact, engage in telling them how to prosecute or not. Oh, thank God we have such a man of integrity in the White House. <laughs> he was outraged. He couldn't believe it. Who? How could anybody, anybody be so irresponsible i mean a single tear rolling down my cheek it is an outrage is it not my god donald trump really needs to be thrown in the gulag for this one in uh, addition to all of his other transgress oh wait a second now breaking news again cnn their headline back to the beginning of the show their headline <clears throat> classified documents from biden's time as vp discovered in private office Wait a second. Let's read this story. Now, they sicked one, two, three, four reporters on it. Jamie Gangal, Marshall Cohen, Evan Perez, Phil Mattingly. Now, they only usually do that for um, stories that are attacking Republicans. But when they are doing stories that make Democrats look bad, they throw everybody at them to make you look, everybody fact check, make sure we have, we don't want to report anything that would make a Democrat look bad if it could even remotely be interpreted differently. So it wasn't just those four reporters. This is how seriously CNN took it. They also had Sarah Murray, Annie Grazer, Zach Cohen, Manu Raju, and Jack Forrest on it. For those of you keeping score, that's four plus five. That's nine reporters contributed to this report. Nine reporters. They put everybody on this because they, and just imagine what they couldn't confirm. They said, well, we can't confirm that. Pull that out. It's really, really bad for Biden. And no, I don't get that out of there. The story, several, several, which is more than a few. Several classified documents from President Joe Biden's time as vice president were discovered last fall in a private office, Biden's attorneys acknowledged Monday. Last fall? Huh. Wait a second. Last fall would put it most likely before the midterm election, right? Now we're beginning to see we need nine people working on the story, doing all the fact-checking. You might have... 
You might have had this story in September or October, but in the interest of due diligence, you had to do all sorts of fact checks. And it takes a while for people to get back to you. Hmm. Attorney General Merrick Garland has asked the U.S. attorney in Chicago to investigate the matter. A source familiar with the matter tells CNN and congressional Republicans are also taking notice. Now, implicit in the second uh, part of that sentence is congressional Democrats don't really give a damn. All that posturing when Donald Trump was said to have had all kinds of classified documents just laying willy-nilly all over the floor, even though they were laid out, spread out for photo op, and turns out that most of them were just uh, the folders with no documents in them. Um, Those people were outraged, and those people, the posturing that was going on there, it turns out it might have just been, I hope you're sitting down, it might have been BS partisanship. I understand if you're shocked, and that's why I told you to sit down. Knock you over with a feather, right? Biden's lawyers say, they, well, wait a second. Now, I was under the understanding that anybody who speaks through their lawyers, and anybody really even who hires lawyers, is hiding something, is guilty of something. That was my understanding of when Democrats were in charge and going after Donald Trump. And anybody in Trump orbit, when they were staring straight directly in the eyes of a perjury trap, they said, no, I plead the Fifth Amendment because not remembering is not acceptable. Remember that? Oh, why are they pleading the Fifth? Why have they got lawyers? People were complaining, hey, I've been dragged up to Capitol Hill 10 times and it costs money. I'm going bankrupt because I got to bring a lawyer with you. And they go, oh, what do guilty people need lawyers? Not guilty people don't need lawyers. Now we've got Joe Biden talking through lawyers. I wonder what uh, Karine Jean-Pierre is going to end up saying when this comes out. I suspect they are not going to have a way. If I had to guess, they won't have a White House briefing today. But they will have a team of uh, lawyers typing up a page for her little three-ring binder for when she does go back out there to uh, try and... Maybe they'll send her out to try to do damage control, but honestly, that's like sending the Tasmanian devil into a china shop to try and stop the bull from doing damage, right? Like, and there's going to be a little bit... Six of one, half a dozen of another. She is incapable of damage control, but she's historic, so she gets to keep her job. Biden's lawyers say they found the government materials in November while closing out a Washington, D.C.-based office. The Penn Biden Center for Diplomacy and Global Engagement that Biden used as part of his relationship with the University of Pennsylvania, where he was an honorary professor from 2017 to 2019. You got to love that. Is it on? Do you ever get an honorary professorship? Anybody ever offer you, hey, well, I'm going to give you a job. It pays about $250,000 a year, maybe a half million dollars a year. All right, what do I have to do? Nothing. Well, I mean, you might have to give a speech. You might. Once or twice a year. For hundreds of thousands of dollars? Yes. Yeah, all right, I'll take that job. Anybody offering you an honorary job? Because I've never had an honorary job. I do know lots of people on the right and the left who have uh, honorary jobs. They mostly dine out on having worked for 10 seconds in the Reagan administration. 
Thank God the Bush administration has not achieved that level of uh, awe so that people could, you know, dine out on that too. You know, kind of, if you're a conservative, you kind of have to do something in order to, uh, in order to be rewarded. It's weird. Liberals now, not so much. You are the vice president. Wow, you you revealed classified information. Because remember, Joe Biden, the um, involvement of SEAL Team 6 in the raid that killed Osama bin Laden was classified. Why? Because if you really wanted to, you could find out the memberships of uh, SEAL Team 6. And you could then track down their family members and kill them if you so wanted to. So which... Navy SEAL team, which, which, what elite forces of the United States that actually led the bin Laden raid and killed Osama bin Laden was classified. And Joe Biden going, oh, SEAL Team 6. He started telling people it was SEAL Team 6. And you go, huh, that's weird. Why would you do that? Well, because the, uh, the president of the United States is a moron, right? And we just acknowledge that the president of the United States is a moron. We know this. So, by the way, Peter Alexander, you want to know how far up the rear end the wagons are circled on Joe Biden. Peter Alexander, he is NBC News chief White House correspondent and Weekend Today Show co-anchor. God. He uh, reports, quote, President Biden only became aware of these classified documents being stored in his former office at the Penn Biden Center when he was informed by his lawyers that they had discovered them, a source familiar with the matter tells NBC News. Oh, no, he didn't know. Well, how do you mean he didn't know? Why are we supposed to believe he didn't know? We're supposed to believe these very same people, pearl-clutching morons, have insisted that Donald Trump packed up his own office and secretly snuck in a whole bunch of classified documents, possibly, probably, so that he might be able to sell national security secrets because he's a money-grubbing scumbag. The guy that's worth like $3 billion, he's a money-grubber. He'd do anything for a buck, whereas Joe Biden, who's worked in, quote-unquote, public service his whole life and somehow managed to amass a massive fortune of cash. See, Donald Trump's net worth is largely tied up in assets, meaning he had to build things for it to uh, be worth anything. Whereas Joe Biden didn't have to. Joe Biden didn't have to do squat. And he's earned you know, 10% for the big guy, plus all the other things, including this Penn State sweetheart deal. By the way, Joe Biden still goes around the country talking about how he was a college professor. Never taught a course. Never once taught a course in his entire miserable life, but he tells people he was a uh, a college professor. Now, remember, that that's just one of many, 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 many lies that Joe Biden tells about himself that the media gleefully ignores while tracking down George Santos. Now, what George Santos did in lying about being Jewish and lying about having Holocaust survivor family members and a whole bunch of other things in his life horrible or hold him to account but hold him to account the same way you hold joe biden to account and i'm not advocating for let george santos off easy i'm advocating for 
getting Joe Biden and hitting him hard on this. Both of those things. They need to be held to the same standards, and I want them held to the harshest standards. But only Republicans are ever held to harsh standards. Now, why the hell did Joe Biden have an office for an honorary professorship when he never taught a course? Why? Why? Can you think of a reason? And why would Joe Biden be storing anything there? Joe Biden has a home office. Joe Biden has a bunch of all of his Senate documents locked up and secured at the University of Delaware. Why would he send his vice presidential papers to an unsecured office in Washington, D.C. that he likely, I would go two-year, three-year, I guess, uh, honorary professorship. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that Joe Biden went to that office three times in those three years. Just taking a wild guess. I'd like to see the actual numbers. They would know. There would be a record of it. But wouldn't it be interesting to know Because what were we told? Donald Trump had documents that were unsecured at Mar-a-Lago. Yeah, Mar-a-Lago is a place that is secured and patrolled by the United States Secret Service. The documents in question, the folders in question, were in a secured lock facility on that facility that was secured by and guarded by the United States Secret Service. The vice president of the United States, as former vice president of the United States, does not retain Secret Service protection. They might for like six months, but that's it. So their properties, their offices, their whatevers are not secured by the Secret Service. So therefore, these documents were way more insecure, much bigger threat than anything at Mar-a-Lago. Anything at Mar-a-Lago. Will you hear that come out of Lester Holt's mouth or the haircut David Muir over at ABC News? Will MSNBC bring this up, this fact up? Probably not. They may not know, but they also may not be allowed to know. But I do love this CNN story. Quote, the White House, this is from the, uh, who is this? This is an official quote inside the story, which is a special counsel to President Biden, a guy named Richard Sarber. Quote, The White House is cooperating with the National Archives and the Department of Justice regarding the discovery of what appears to be Obama-Biden administration records, including a small number of documents with classified markings. Oopsie! Just, you know, hey, what are you going to do? The documents were discovered when the president's personal attorneys were packing up files housed in a locked closet to be uh, to prepare to vacate office space when, at the Penn Biden Center in Washington, D.C. The president periodically used this space from mid-2017 until the start of the 2020 campaign. On the day of the discovery, November 2nd, 2022, the White House Counsel's Office notified the National Archives, and uh, the archives took possession of the materials the following morning. Now, it sounds all very official. Under normal circumstances, who cares, right? Problem solved, box checked. But these aren't normal circumstances. We have to live under the rules that Democrats set for us. And therefore, we, in order to be good stewards of the American experiment, have to hold them 
to the same standard, do we not? So let's parse this statement from the special counsel to President Biden. Documents were discovered in a a locked, they point that out, a locked closet. Well, having worked in many office buildings throughout Washington, D.C., I can assure you that there is no more secure facility on the face of the earth than a closet in a communal office, right? Am I right? Good God. That's a locked, oh, it's locked. Okay, but it is a closet, meaning it's not a place designed to house classified material. It's a place to hang your coat. It's a place to put your umbrella as it drips on the floor. That's what a locked closet really is, right? It's where you put a pair of shoes and uh, just in case you need a spare pair of shoes because you stopped in some some human excrement on the sidewalk on the way into the office that day. Now, granted, Joe Biden never really went into the office. They say periodically. If it were with any sense of regularity, they would have chosen the word regularly rather than periodically, I would think. Especially when you're, look, if you want it, you want him in there all the time because that means that somebody's watching these documents. But they can't lie about that, so they say he went in there on occasion. Just a little while. Every once in a while, he kind of went in there. Meanwhile, curiously, the uh, Penn Center has received a whole bunch of money from the Chinese communists. Just kind of as an aside. Why would they do that? Why would the Chinese communists want to uh, contribute to anything related to Joe Biden? Anything related to an American university? Well, I think it's probably because uh, they want influence, right? What if it turns out that Joe Biden was paid by proxy by the Chinese communists? Because why on God's green earth would Penn, I think it's Penn, want Joe Biden on staff? Who goes, you know what, I don't know where to go to, uh, to get my postgraduate work, except for the, uh, the crazy guy who even his own colleague said was wrong on everything in foreign policy. He is an uh, honorary professor who doesn't teach any courses at Penn. Therefore, I'm going to go there. Uh, probably not a big boon to the admissions or fundraising, if you had to ask me. But they gave millions of dollars. The Chinese communists gave millions of dollars to that institution. Why? Might be worth investigating. Of course, we'd have to have journalism. (laughs) And we don't really have that. We don't have anybody bothering to look into such things. So it's kind of funny. New York Post has this has the story this way. The Justice Department is looking into how a handful of classified documents from President Biden's time as vice president ended up at the D.C. think tank that bears his name. White House confirmed Monday. It's kind of weird, isn't it? It bears his name, but he never really did anything there. Yet they raised money from the Chinese communists. 
or I'm sorry, individuals with ties to communist Congressman Andy Biggs. Biden stole classified documents and stored them at his think tank while he was VP. VP does not have any authority to to declassify classified documents. And this think tank received $54 million in funding from the Chinese Communist Party. Isn't that weird? University of New Back to the New York Post. The school has raked in millions in anonymous donations from China since putting Biden's name on the think tank, including 15.8 million in Chinese gifts in 2017, and one staggering 14.5 million dollar donation in May 2018. Records show the University of Pennsylvania has received a total of 54.6 million in donations from China. Between 2014 and 2019, the Post reported in April of 2022. A spokesman for the institution denied that any anonymous Chinese money had gone to the Penn Biden Center. (laughs) People with everything to hide and everything on the line said, quote, The Penn Biden Center has never solicited or received any gifts from any Chinese or other foreign entity. In fact, the university has never solicited any gifts for the center. So they just said, oh, I'm sitting around. I got an extra $15.8 million. Why don't you take it? You take it. I don't know. It's such a pain in the butt if you go and make any deposits to your bank account in China of more than $15 million. You have to fill out extra paperwork. So just... uh, Take this money off my hands, won't you please? Hmm. Will this get the same level of scrutiny? Will this get any scrutiny at all? No, it won't. Because it's Joe Biden. Because he's a Democrat. Democrats are allowed to get away with these things. In fact, they're encouraged. Democrats get rich through their public service. Period. End of story. That, well, you know, I'll, I'll save this. Let's talk about this one here. Since we're talking about the Biden administration, we don't want to go back and forth for it. We'll get to Stacey Abrams in a bit and her corruption. But uh, the Biden administration, while they're sitting there playing defense, while they're being disgraced, but covered up for by a god-awful corrupt media. And you think, well, these people will leave you. You think these people, they lost the house. I get it. If you listen to Democrats talk, if you listen to MSNBC or CNN or any of the the, the networks, you hear a discounting of the midterm election, right? It was a horrible election for Republicans. It was a horrible. They always ignore the fact that Republicans took back the House of Representatives. Now, to look at the results for the midterm elections in regards to the House of Representatives, you also have to look at the results of the 2020 elections in the House of Representatives. Yes, Donald Trump lost in 2020 and Republicans failed to gain the Senate, although they got to 50-50. They actually gained seats in the Senate in 2020. The House was expected to become more Democrat heavy. And Republicans almost took it. Democrats had a four or five seat majority, and that was it, in the House of Representatives. People forget that. So you can whine and complain about Kevin McCarthy all you want. I couldn't care less, but uh, you should do so based on reality. And the reality is that uh, if you look at the two elections, the the 2020 election, 
the story, they say, well, in 2022, he didn't win as many seats as he was projected, and therefore, blah, 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 he's a failure. Well, in 2020, he won seats when he was projected. He won quite a few seats, as a matter of fact, where he was projected to lose a bunch of seats and solidify Democrats' chokehold on power. So you got to kind of give it all perspective. I get it that it's wildly inconvenient for some people. It cracks me up. I'm listening to something the other day, and somebody's interviewing Chip Roy, and they're just kissing his butt nonstop. They're going, well, nobody's more anti-establishment than me. I'm like, dude, you're, you are the establishment. All these people, anti-establishment, I'm anti-establishment. No, you're not. No, you're not. It's just you pretend to be. But you'll kiss whatever butt is absolutely necessary. Let's just keep things in proper perspective. But the Biden administration is plowing forward like they won. And the media is helping them with the narrative that the red wave didn't materialize. No, the red wave didn't materialize. People were certainly way over optimistic. But Republicans still won a majority. There's like a 10 shift a 10-seat shift. Republicans are in the majority, but Democrats aren't letting that stand in their way. So the Biden administration is going to plow forward with really stupid and bad ideas, like this story from the Washington Post. Millions of Americans may soon be entering not-stove season. What? The Biden administration is considering a nationwide ban on gas stoves citing the harmful pollutants released by the appliances, according to a report. They use natural gas. What burning, clean burning natural gas. What the hell are the harmful pollutants? Uh, the Consumer Product Safety Commission is mulling the action after recent studies showed emissions from the devices can cause health and respiratory problems, Bloomberg reported. Quote, this is a hidden hazard. CS or CPSC Commissioner Richard Trumka Jr. told the outlet. Now, Consumer Product Safety Commission, Richard, maybe it's a different Richard Trumka. Let's look that up because I'm not really sure that um, Richard Trumka Jr. Is it his kid? Yeah. Oh, wait. Now, I don't know for sure, but I would suspect that Richard Trumka Jr. is son of Richard Trumka. Richard Trumka is uh, a union leader. He is the head of the AFL-CIO, or was until 2009. He's a big-time union leader. Now, let me see. Does he have any kids? He's got to have some kids. Children, one. What are the odds that Richard Trumka Jr. is... doesn't say. Yeah. Union goon Richard Trumka Jr. Well, well, I'm sorry. Richard Trumka, his son. Richard Trumka actually passed away in 2001. But Democrats are fiercely loyal to their own. So he report he uh, appoints this left-wing activist child to this board. Now he's going to decide whether or not you can cook with gas. Yeah. Quote from Trumka Jr. Any option uh, is on the table. Products that can be made safe, or that can't be made safe, can be banned. They... 
It goes back to the old axiom about Democrats. Democrats want to ban anything they can't mandate or mandate anything they don't want to ban. Reports by groups including the American Chemical Society, New York University Law School's Institute for Policy Integrity, found gas stoves, which are used in about 40% of U.S. homes, while the remainder use various forms of electric cookers, emit pollutants like nitrogen dioxide, carbon monoxide, and fine matter at levels deemed unsafe by the Environmental Protection Agency and World Health Organization. Did you know I grew up in a house with a gas stove? I did not realize that I was being poisoned by that, did you? It was a very small kitchen. It was maybe eight feet by eight feet, and I used that stove quite a bit. I didn't realize I was taking my life into my own hands. More than 12% of childhood asthma cases can be attributed to gas stoves, according to a report published last month by the International Journal of Environmental Research and Public Health. Does anybody believe this? The experts, quote-unquote, in the world have become so politicized, and really they've been, been for years, but it's been exposed under COVID. Can you believe that? 12% of asthma cases. That's a huge percent, by the way. Nobody noticed that until the left wanted to force people to buy new stoves. Hmm? Quote, there is about 50 years of health studies showing that gas stoves are bad for her health. Hmm? Brady, said Brady Seals, manager of the Carbon Free Buildings Program at the nonprofit clean energy group RMI and co-author of the study. Wait a second. Let me read that guy's title again. Brady Seals a manager of the Carbon Free Buildings Program at the nonprofit Clean Energy Group RMI and co-author of the study. Well, gee, that's a lot like a professor of racial studies finding racism everywhere, a professor of gender studies finding misogyny everywhere. This is his job. Do you think he would conduct a study that goes, you know what? I don't find anything. There's nothing here. What do you think the odds of that are? Zero? None? Slim to none? And Slim just got on a bus and got out of town? <laughs> it's amazing how these people whose jobs exist because of uh, so-called specific findings in science that they always keep finding these things in science. And by the way, anybody who doesn't find those things no matter how serious their work is, are declared to be a heretic and chased out of the industry, thereby sending the message to other people in that field, you think right, or we're going to ruin your life. Ah, science. Seems an awful lot like the mafia, doesn't it? It's weird. I'm, 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 I'm going to get to this Stacey Abrams thing in a second, but I was looking at the Associated Press, mostly at these pictures. The headline is, Newly Restored House in Pompeii Offers Glimpse of Elite Life. And it, it's really cool. I have uh, not, I guess I have seen ancient Roman ruins um, in Cologne, Germany. But, uh, yeah, they were there, maybe at a couple other places, but nothing like massively spectacular. Walls and stuff. In Cologne, they had like baths still there. The disgusting water. 
But this one is really interesting because it's a full house. The newly restored Associated Press in Pompeii, Italy. The newly restored remains of an opulent house in Pompeii that likely belonged to two former slaves who became rich through the wine trade offer visitors an exceptional peek at details of domestic life in the doomed Roman city. On Tuesday, the house of Veti, Dominus Vetorum, in Latin, was being formally unveiled after 20 years of restoration given fresh life were frescoes uh, from the latest fashion in Pompeii. Wall decorations before the flourishing city was buried under the volcanic ash furiously spewed from Mount Vesuvius in 79 AD. Uh, Find the story. On, if you just, I imagine if you search newly restored house in Pompeii offers glimpse of elite life or even half of that, you'll find it. And there are like 20 pictures of this house. Obviously, it's, you know, the frescoes, some of the walls are, most of the walls are peeled, but some of the uh, paintings are, are not. It's just really, really cool looking. We should do a, a listener trip over there. I'd kind of rather go, still rather go back to Ireland. Anyway, there is a, uh, this kind of cracks me up. If you were a kid in the 1980s, it seemed to go away by the 1990s. But if you were a kid in the 1980s, you heard an awful lot about how we were all going to die because of our existence. Our existence was going to kill us. Our advances were going to kill us. It was, and growing up in Detroit, it was constantly news. And the news was we were killing Canada. It was, I'm talking about acid rain. You don't hear anything about acid rain anymore. But in Michigan, the news was acid rain and Canada were killing the trees in Canada. Because if you look at Michigan, if you just go directly east from Michigan, it's all Canada right there. We're killing the trees. Our acid rain, of course, being created by cars, Detroit, Michigan, auto industry, even though it was mostly uh, dead by that time. And they were killing trees in Canada. The acid rain was eating away the leaves. We were all going to die because this was going to bring about um, the end of photosynthesis and prevent the creation of oxygen from carbon dioxide that plants provide if we didn't dramatically change. We didn't dramatically change. But acid rain kind of went away. It's kind of weird. But if you were alive and a kid in the 80s as well, or even if you were just alive in the 80s, you also heard about the coming death and doom and gloom from the depletion of the ozone layer, right? Your hairspray, my mother's Aquanet. My mother used Aquanet. And then she used uh, white rain, I think it was. <laughs> she had, like, uh, there's special hairspray for, uh, for white hair. Yeah, she used white rain. And she used Aquanet. I used my share of Aquanet long before the creation, or at least uh, my sister. I always. My, my hair products were whatever my sisters bought. So they used Aquanet. And then uh, eventually they got around to moose. And then I started buying hair gel. Now I don't buy anything. But uh, I, I would use Aquanet. I wanted my hair to look like James Dean's so bad. It never could. It just couldn't get. I'd cut it. I butchered my hair in so many different ways. Trying to get it to look like James Dean's hair. And it, it's really kind of a tough hairdo to, to do. 
But um, especially when your hair is like, it's not fine, but it's very soft. Some people's hair, you can stick it right away and it stays. Mine, no. Anyway, I was told that I, in my own little way, and you in your own little way, and all of us in our own little ways, were killing the ozone layer. We were destroying the ozone layer through CFCs. Remember those? What are these? Uh, something fluorocarbons, chlorofluorocarbons. We were destroying the ozone layer. As evidenced by random, weird, computer-generated images from space of Antarctica. Right? They'd show you, look at this hole in the ozone layer. Now, you can't, there's no filter to, to pick ozone. But it was, you know, an illustration, if you will. I thought, my God, the ozone layer filters out harmful rays from the sun. And if we get rid of the ozone layer, but look good doing it with nice hair, uh, we're all going to die. We had to get rid of it. And also it had to do with um, air conditioning, too. Remember, we had to change how air conditioning worked. And we were told at the time that we had to do this because the ozone layer, once it's gone, it's gone. It's not coming back. So we had to stop using CFCs in order to protect all human life, on the, all life, really, on the planet. But then we discovered after we'd changed all of these things and come up with new substitutes and less efficient air conditioning, things like that, that weirdly, the ozone layer, the hole in the ozone layer, contracted and expanded on its own. Now, when I was a kid, this was impossible. It was gone, it was gone, it was gone. Yet the little computer animation that they showed this giant hole in the ozone layer over Antarctica, they, they had new computer-generated things that showed it getting bigger and getting smaller, and they were like, wow, that's weird. They never went back and said, I guess we can go back to the way things were if we so choose because the lobbyists who mandated that we get rid of CFCs and use their new products were quite happy to push their new products. They were also quite happy to sell you more expensive uh, things that maybe air conditioning units, etc., etc. as say, I don't know, just being cynical, maybe patents were expiring and that would allow other people, other businesses, a, a much lower barrier to entry things suddenly we had to do all things differently and then it turned out that it didn't matter at all well now we find out more information this from cnn in a rare in rare good news for the planet earth's ozone layer is on track to recover completely within decades as ozone depleting chemicals are phased out across the world according to a new united nations backed assessment now, wait a second i was re reasonably assured this was impossible and that's why we had to rip the needle out uh, off the record. We had to rip the Band-Aid off quickly. We had to get rid of CFCs to stop things from getting worse. And it maybe was already too late anyway, but we had to do it because the ozone layer, once it's gone, it's gone. There's nothing we can do about it. And we had to keep that hole over Antarctica as small as possible. But now it's coming back. What? It's almost as if everything that the environmentalist left pushes is for other purposes. And it's just a delivery device. 
Hmm, weird. The ozone layer protects the planet from harmful ultraviolet rays, but since the late 1980s, scientists have sounded the alarm about a hole in this shield caused by ozone-depleting substances, including chlorofluorocarbons, dubbed CFCs, often found in refrigerators, aerosols, and solvents. International cooperation helped stem the damage. The use of CFCs has decreased 99% since the Montreal Protocol went into force in 1989, which began the phase-out of those other ozone-harming chemicals, according to an assessment by a panel of experts published Monday. Isn't that nice? The United Nations and experts. Now, what are these experts? What are their expertise? What are their qualifications? Well, if they are environmentalists, in fact, their qualifications would appear to almost exclusively be being wrong constantly. Because that's what these people are. <laughs> if global policies stay in place, the ozone layer is expected to recover to 1980 levels by 2040 for most of the world, the assessment found. For polar areas, the time frame for recovery is longer. 2045 over the Arctic and 2066 over the Antarctic, which always begs the question. That's always bothered me about this. I've never seen anybody even really ask the question. Why was the hole in the ozone layer over Antarctica? If we're spewing all these CFCs into the atmosphere, where the ozone layer is, there's ozone over the top of us, and thank God, hey, ozone, looking up. Glad you're there. But if I'm spraying Aquanet, in Detroit, on my head as a kid, why does that, uh, why do those CFCs travel, what is that, I don't know, 15,000, 20,000 miles down to the bottom of the planet? How is that even possible to do that damage? Why down in the south? Much smaller, still there, but much, much smaller issue in the north. When you think that somebody is significantly closer to, and people live significantly closer to the North Pole, that would have gone there. It's weird. It's almost as though it is one of the universal truths of science that scientists never really want to admit. And what is this universal truth, Derek? Enlighten us. It's that we really have no freaking idea what the hell is going on. With our plan. We have some ideas on some things, we have guesses on others, and then we have the largest slice of the pie are people with political agendas looking for anything to justify what they want. And they just latch on to whatever it is. The ozone layer. What do you think the ozone layer was in the 1950s? We didn't know about it. Didn't know about it. Didn't have a clue about it. We barely had any ability to get up there. Just like all of the quote-unquote climate science that we see now, they will talk about temperatures over the last 150 years, which mean absolutely nothing. If they did, you know, they only use them when it's important. This is the hottest day ever for this date. Okay, what about tomorrow? Well, the hottest day ever for that date is from 1919. But don't, don't read anything into that, that it was really, really hot 100 years ago, okay? Don't, don't read anything into that. What's important to read things into is it's really hot today. 
Oh, you mean in summer? Don't uh, start with that. You're bringing logic to this. All of these things, they have temperature data. Now, I'm not sure about you, but I don't really trust even temperature data from 100 years ago. I'm not saying they're making it up. I'm saying that the instruments, they're just this side. They've just gotten past the what you need is a good bleeding area of medicine. I'm not sure that I'm going to ever be convinced that these are people with the uh, most accurate readings in science in every aspect of it, particularly when it comes to temperature. But what matters in climate science now is atmospheric readings of temperature. Surface temperature can be impacted by all sorts of things, buildings, reflective surfaces. You put a thermometer over grass and you put a thermometer over asphalt 20 feet away, you're going to get vastly different readings of temperature. You can butcher that data in many, 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 many ways. The atmospheric data that we've begun collecting in the last 50 years is a much more interesting and potentially useful piece of data. The problem is we only have about 50 years worth of data because we haven't been traveling to the upper atmosphere or beyond it since the, you know, only in the last 50 years, really, you know, the the 60s when we started going into space, we started putting satellites up there. Oh yeah. Well, we had Sputnik in the 50. Yeah, we did. Sputnik went around and got beep, 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 beep. Not exactly a, uh, a treasure trove of data back there to collect. So our knowledge of any of these subjects is, uh, it's nothing, it's infinitesimal. Yet we are told by the so-called experts who have been nothing but wrong since the 1980s that they not only know what's going on, they can extrapolate information from beyond what is available to us from a tiny segment of data based on a less than a blink of an eye in the history of the planet, they can tell you what's going on and what the cause is they can't explain to you and won't and don't ever need to because who are you to question them when they are wrong as evidenced by the 30 40 years of we've only got 10 years before all hell breaks loose and the coasts are covered up by water nature of their business the one constant isn't the science that these people bring to the table The one constant, the only constant, really, is the solution. The solution is more government, bigger government, more intrusive government, higher taxes, greater regulation, more power being taken from you and given to the governments, not only in the United States, but around the world. World governments inching towards that, all in the name of saving you because you're just too damned stupid to know what's best for you. The essence of liberalism is right there in that sentence. The belief that you are too damn stupid to know what's best for you. Therefore, they must protect you from you. The job of government is to protect you from threats from other countries, by and large. And you sit there and say, well, what about protecting you from threats from other people? It's not really the purpose of government not really even the purpose of police, although the existence of police can deter a lot of people, especially if they're in close physical proximity. But in general, the police are not there to prevent crimes from happening. They're there to investigate crimes that have happened and hopefully bring the perpetrators to justice so as to prevent them from doing it again. 
there are very, very few circumstances in which physical harm to a human being is prevented because of police involvement. Thank God there are some, but we just got to be honest about it. Police can't be everywhere where a crime might be committed. But the essence of liberalism is they are there to protect you from something that might happen, that you're too stupid to understand you need to be protected from. It's gross. I think you have your own parents. You don't need bureaucrats making six figures and pensions to take care of you. Now I want to shift gears to the one and only Stacey Abrams, governor of uh, Georgia, of course, denied her re-election, denied her election, and then denied her re-election by all the racists down in Georgia. Really is amazing, this woman. This woman is one of the biggest con artists in all of politics, and I say that knowing full well what the Democratic Party is and what they've become. She has uh, a track record of failure while getting rich. This is one of the things about the left is these people get rich as they fail. The chairman of the Democratic National Committee is a guy named Jamie Harrison. Jamie Harrison is chosen for the position because, well, actually nobody can articulate why he was chosen for the position. He lost horribly, embarrassingly, to Lindsey Graham. Now, if you remember back in the, uh, was it, I think it was 2020, you saw constantly, oh, Lindsey Graham's in a tight re-election race. Jamie Harrison's giving him a run for his money. He's uh, got the support of the black vote down in South Carolina. He's a black man himself, and this is really, he's a moderate, he's a this, he's that. He could unseat Lindsey Graham. Well, long, the problem is that the people then got their say, not the pollsters, the people. And Lindsey Graham, I think, won by 10 points. Wasn't, wasn't anywhere near close. But it was one of those elections that sucked up, hoovered up like $100 million from Democrats. It kind of cracks me up when Democrats talk about how they're, they, uh, we, are, uh, we are funded by grassroots. AOC will constantly vomit out. We are not funded by the billionaire class. Like, really? You just spent a billion and a half dollars in the... Uh, Last election cycle, Democrats, a billion and a half dollars. You're telling me that, what, uh, 10% of the population, 30 million people, 30 million Americans, Democrats, in in increments of a dollar to three dollars, gave a billion and a half dollars? That math doesn't add up, AOC. Oh, well, it's different. Some people gave some big money. Yeah, which are you beholden to? The the grandmother on Social Security given three bucks or the billionaire giving $100 million to super PACs. Which one do you think has a better shot of Joe Biden picking up the phone? Of AOC answering the call? Uh, yeah, it's the grandma, right? Give me a break. Anyway, these frauds are led by frauds elevate frauds and no fraud has been elevated like a thanksgiving day balloon as high and as large as stacy abrams and what's funny is she her campaign still owes people money her campaign still owes people money 
yet she got rich running for governor. It's weird. Axios has the story right now. The Stacey Abrams campaign reported more than $1.4 million in debts Monday after a blockbuster 2022 election that saw the operation raise more than $113 million. She raised $113 million. And she ended up blowing all of that plus $1.4 million more. Still has that debt. Axios first reported the news of the debt last month, but Monday's filing to the State Campaign Finance Commission clarifies the scope of the campaign troubles after a nearly eight-point loss to two-time opponent and GOP Governor Brian Kemp. Eight points. She lost by uh, 0.4 percentage points the first time. This time she had way more money and she lost by a hell of a lot more. Abrams' campaign and leadership committee reported a combined $1.42 million in debt to her lawyers, an opposition research and policy consulting firm, and a media strategy, media buying and production company. Hmm. Remember that bit for a second. Uh, Let's see. uh, AL Media was the campaign's Highest paid vendor receiving $54 million to produce ads and purchase extensive TV and radio airtime. Now, what's really funny is, I don't know if you know this, it's perverse. I didn't know this either until I read a, a book by Ralph Reed ages ago. He wrote some, uh, some fiction, some really good fiction. And the, uh, the people who really rake in the cash are the media buyers and the media companies, right? If you buy a, you get a percent, it's really weird the way they do this. And the fundraisers, of course. Fundraisers, in a lot of cases, you get, the candidate actually gets about 25% and the person doing the fundraising gets 75% because you're using their list. It's a really corrupt thing. People get fabulously rich off of it. But um, that's why you should give directly to a, a campaign through their website. Otherwise, if you, give, if you respond to an email, you're probably giving a huge chunk of it to somebody else because you're just on somebody's list. But the, uh, the buyers, if you buy a million dollars worth of ads, you can get like $100,000 commission. Now, you would think that's weird. The person selling the time should get the commission. But that's not how it works. You produce the ad, you, uh, and it can be garbage it could be nothing you could just use pre-existing footage and and do a voiceover on it but you get a commission based on the the money you spend placing the ads it's really a screwed up system so the people who buy campaign ads on presidential campaigns in particular but governor campaigns whatever they're the ones who are raking in a ton and ton of money so if you're going to go into campaigns go into to that one al media al media Guess who owns AL Media? Yeah, Stacey Abrams. Her campaign paid AL Media $54 million to produce ads and purchased extensive TV and radio airtime. She paid herself half of what her campaign spent. And she still owes a million four. What a scam. Uh, between her campaign and leadership committee, Abrams had just under $100,000 in leftover cash on hand. 
Kemp ended up raising $90 million during the election cycle and reported more than $5.2 million cash on hand between his leadership committee and campaign. Listen to those numbers. She raised more. She raised more by $23 million. And he still has $5.2 million left over. Of course, Governor Kemp probably didn't hire himself to do his media buying and therefore make himself richer. But what are you going to (laughs) do? Abrams campaign manager Lauren Wargo previously told Axios that a cavalcade of negative press and negative polling made fundraising difficult in the final months. Well, when you outraised your opponent by $23 million, you should have had plenty of cash left over for that final month. But you didn't. You spent it like you were always going to have it. You lived like a star athlete making $10 million a year who thought they were going to make $10 million a year forever. She said the campaign engaged bookers to sell their donor and voter contacts databases to try to pay down the debt. Money came so tight at the end of the high-profile campaign that most of the 180 full-time staffers were not paid past the week after the November election, a shocking time frame for such a well-funded campaign. (laughs) Abrams also was forced to cut her weekly ad buys from between $2 million and $3 million in early October to 825000 in the final week of the month. <laughs> Poor dear. She was only able to pay herself a smaller percentage of the money. She was on track, apparently, to make somewhere in the neighborhood of $60 million for her consulting firm. But God, it's a good... You want to talk about corruption? You want to talk about corruption? It's right there. It's absolutely hilarious. Now, one might think that this would sour Democrats... On Stacey Abrams, she took 113 million bucks. She took 54 million of it, stuck it in her own pocket, and lost. Going, oh, we just ran out of money. <laughs> I don't know, Stace. Maybe you could, I don't know, cut your campaign a deal. You do own the company. You think Cy Sperling at the Hair Club for Men was charging himself full freight for his plugs? I don't think so. I think he probably got the employee discount. If you wanted to win. You could have probably prioritized things a little bit differently. But nope. Stacey Abrams is now filthy rich. The company she runs made a ton of money. And she's not bound by any ethical restrictions in any way, shape, or form going forward for the next four years as she gears up for probably what will be another run for something. And in between the first loss and the second loss, she made tens of millions of dollars for herself. She's got another four years of just Brinks truck after Brinks truck after Brinks truck rolling up to her house, dumping it out on her front lawn. Quite a racket. So you would think that this serious scholar and Democratic hero, I don't know, considering how she owes staff a whole bunch of money and Democrats care so deeply about the little guy, she might face some serious questions about stuff. You'd be wrong. Instead of... Being grilled on MSNBC about anything. She's never going to be grilled on MSNBC about anything. She went on Drew Barrymore's show. I didn't know Drew Barrymore had a daytime talk show. I thought Drew Barrymore was an actress. And Drew Barrymore is an actress. Look, if you've ever done theater, you've dealt with theater people. Drew Barrymore in this first clip sounds exactly like every theater person 
on the face of the earth. Drew Barrymore being Drew Barrymore, not very smart. She's been famous since she was like nine, so what are you going to do? Let's just say educate. When you're making millions of dollars before puberty, education is not a priority. She asks whether or not Stacey Abrams is going to run again. Now, listen to the so no questions about, hey, how come you made $54 million? How come you paid your company $54 million? Nothing like that. Not from Drew Barrymore. Uh, she asks, are you going to run again? Listen to Drew Barrymore. Listen to Stacey Abrams' response. And then Drew Barrymore's squealing. It's so fake. It's, it's, Drew Barrymore has no clue nor concern, but she knows that she has an audience to pander to. So what's next? Are you going to run again? Are you going? Like, are you? do we get to look forward to this and galvanize I, I, again? I, I will likely run again. Yeah! I don't know what, I don't know what to do. Suddenly she turns into Meg Ryan and when Harry met Sally in the diner scene. Yes, yes, yes. Do we get to galvanize? She lost by eight points. It wasn't even close. Are you going to run again? We desperately need you to run again. We need you to complete the trifecta of loserdom. Please run again. Have I mentioned Drew Barrymore is an idiot? Because Drew Barrymore is an idiot. But she's sitting there screaming, yes, yes, yes. By the way, they cut to the audience during this applause thing. There's Stacey Abrams and Drew Barrymore on a stage, no masks, nothing, face to face. They cut to the audience and they're all wearing, obviously, studio issued yellow surgical masks. Surgical masks are not designed to do, to like, it's COVID, COVID, COVID. Surgical masks don't do a damn thing. First of all, they don't fit anybody's face well. Secondly, they're designed to stop spittle from dropping out of a surgeon's mouth and falling into an open cavity. They're not designed to keep viruses out, even if they did fit well. But they're all sitting there going, oh, and they're all wearing their masks like trained animals. Meanwhile, they're sitting probably 20 feet away from two people who are doing all the talking who are not wearing masks. It was just great. But the the applause then continues. And then just to show you, illustrate how... Stu- now, remember, the shtick, the shtick of Stacey Abrams says she's a strong woman. She's a strong black woman. She uh, take on anybody. She's a hero. Then Drew Barrymore's next question after asking her, are you going to run again is, are you going to have to run against mean men who, you know, try to win? That's essentially what she says. I mentioned Drew Barrymore's stupid. Oh, my God. So are you going to go up against um, some tough men who kind of don't always play fair? (laughs) Well, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. (laughs) Are you going to go against some tough men who don't always play fair? Is that what you're going to do? Is that, oh, you mean she lost. She lost by a little the first time. She lost by a lot the second time. And nobody's going... Uh, maybe maybe the people of Georgia don't want you. Uh, have, you ever, have you ever considered that, Stacey? Look, she's got the hell of a business model. Sooner or later, Democrats have to go, we need somebody else, right? Don't you? But just to give you a peek into the psyche of Stacey Abrams, they got into, you know, Stacey, Stacey Abrams is unmarried. She's 49, I think, years old. Not married, no kids. Um, she's raking in the money now, 
But it turns out that she's apparently wildly scarred from this will give you a look into her head. Wildly scarred by being dumped in college. Wildly sc- this is a person who should not be anywhere near power because she has not dealt with the issues that she was dumped in college. And I don't know if she's ever dated anybody since then. Who knows? But it's a very bizarre thing to talk about and to sort of pseudo brag about. So when I was in college, I fell in love with a boy who was mean to me. Um, oh, God. Up, yeah, yeah. You know what? We've all done that. Yeah. Well, he broke up with me and he said that I was too ambitious and wanted too many things and I would end up alone and lonely. Uh, and so I got really mad. And then I was like, fine, I'm going to figure out all the things I'm going to do to make him rue the day that he was mean to me. And so I, this was now, I'm old, I'm 49. So I'm maybe 48. We're right next to each other. So you'll appreciate this. This was before Excel. This is when it was Lotus one, two, three. Right. Okay. And you had to go to the computer lab because owning a computer meant that you could buy the world. Right. I went to the computer lab at Spelman and I did a spreadsheet and I laid out all the things I was going to accomplish and all the ways I was going to just be fantastic and magnificent. And I don't know if he's ever going to see it, but I'm, I'm, I'm doing okay. I'm, I'm, I'm doing okay on my spreadsheet. <laughs> I'm doing okay. The guy, you're 49 years old. So what is that? Uh, college in your early 20s. So you're almost 30 years past this. And somebody was mean to you. Somebody dumped you. The, let me just tell you, Stace. <clears throat> he, he wasn't into you at all. Okay. He didn't, you obviously liked him a hell of a lot more than he liked you. And he was try. He probably tried to put it in all sorts of different ways, and he didn't want to. You know, we're just friends, and I need to be alone. And what I'm sure all the, it's not you, it's me. And eventually, he just had to say something mean, because there's no guy out there that I can think of who goes, you know what? You're going to be too damn successful. You're going to be too. You're too ambitious. You're going to achieve your life goals. You are one of those people who, when you set your mind to something, you achieve it. And boy, howdy, I don't like that. I find people who sit around, waver, drift, don't do much of anything. I find them to be way more attractive than anybody who might have a, you know, a clue as to what they want to do with their lives and are working towards goals. Does anybody believe this crap? He's just not into you, Stacy. It's been 30 years. It's probably time for you to get over it. You've already, I, I would say, you know, settle down, get married, have kids, but I'm pretty sure that ship has sailed. So she's running for governor, making a fortune, trying to fill the hole in her heart. Actually, come to think of it, she's the perfect Democrat because they're all one way or another kind of like that. I'm going to move on from Stacey Abrams to... The IRS, the Republicans in the House of Representatives have, um, they passed their first piece of legislation. They passed their rules package. The deal held. So good news for everybody there. Then they went on and they did what they said they were going to do. Is symbolic, but they did it. They defunded the 87,000 new IRS agents. This has upset the left. They want that power. They want that that power. They want Look, when you are in the business of sicking dogs on your enemies, you want as many dogs as humanly possible. 
The Democrat Party, the liberal establishment in this country, be they members officially of the party or simply be mid-level bureaucrats and decision-making positions throughout the federal government, have decided to use the power of government to punish anybody who does not toe the line, does not obey. And so those 87,000 IRS agents, even though they said, well, we're not going to be auditing more people. We're going to, if anything, we're just going to go after the rich. They're lying. There aren't that many rich people. Honestly, there are more of we in the middle class than anybody else. Whenever they want money, this is where they have to come. Besides, the rich have set up, the rich, they can't get to the rich's money, except for in political donations. And that the rich give so much to Democrats going to let you know that, you know, we're screwed. We're not their priority. Anyway, it was funny watching. Now, granted, this bill isn't going anywhere. It's dead in the House. It's dead in the Senate. And it's never going to get to Joe Biden. And even if it did get to Joe Biden, he'd veto it. They don't have the votes to override the veto. So those 87,000 IRS agents are still going to be on the books. They're not moving super quick. By the way, it's it's a lot of money laundering. See, they it was largely an accounting gimmick. They claim that hiring these agents is going to bring in a whole bunch more money to the federal government. And that's how they managed. They're all going to bring in more money than they would actually make, which is insane. But they did it because they needed to pretend that the bill they were a part of was paid for by itself. I mean, it paid for itself. We didn't, we're not raising taxes. We're not spending a dime. We didn't, it's all paid for. Never minding the $32 trillion in debt we already have. Beside the point. But now that Republicans have passed this bill in the House to repeal these frivolous jobs, the left is very upset. So this morning, a Hill reporter named Michael Schnelly, no, Schnell, is a woman named Michael. I don't know if it's a biological woman or what. But if looking at the video, I wouldn't be surprised either way. But Michael is spelled M-Y-C-H-A-E-L. So if somebody wanted a boy if it is, in fact, a, a woman, a real woman. And Joe Scarborough, they're talking about this. I made some interesting admissions, if only accidentally. We shall listen to them now. But Republicans had sort of characterized this as a way that the IRS was going to hire 87,000 new agents, though the department has come back and said that that is just not true. Uh, this was meant for not just agents, but hiring other employees, ones in uh, uh, customer service, computer science, and accounting for the tens of thousands of employees they expect to resign or, uh, or, or quit over the next 10 years. But nonetheless, Republicans had took this up. Uh, nonetheless, Republicans had took this up. Okay, she's a professional. She's a professional. But I love this. 87,000. No, no, no. They're just uh, customer service. Who doesn't need good customer service when they deal with the IRS? And uh, computer stuff. Okay, 87. That's a lot of... Like, is if there's nobody doing anything related to computers right now, I can see they might need 87,000. But they've got people doing that right now. And then attrition, replacing people who are retiring. Well, here's a little thing you, you, you might not know. 
if you have a job that's paid for, that's funded by the federal government, it doesn't need to be refunded. When a person retires from that job, that money does not go away. Hey, Earl, after 30 years, is calling it a day, and the federal government says, all right, screw it. Earl's salary is now complete in total savings unless we reauthorize somebody else to get Earl's saving. No, the, the funding is for the job, not the Earl. So to say, to sit there and try and pollute this and go, well, no, it's just funding to replace people who are retiring is crap. The money to pay salaries is already there. This is money for 87,000 new salaries. So even the reporter on this one isn't smart enough to know what's going on. Now, she's on Morning Joe. She's sitting there talking to Morning Joe and Morning Mika through her glazed-eyed cluelessness. Mika doesn't say anything. But it would you would think that Joe, as a former member of Congress, might look at this situation and hear what I just said and hear what we just heard and go, that's, that's not right. I'll just correct the record here. But no, Joe has his orders. See, Joe, like, I don't think Joe is politically liberal. And I know Joe isn't politically conservative. I think Joe is politically a prostitute who will take whatever... But look, they're paying him enough money. He's going to just go along with it. He's going to do what his job is. So if his job is to be stupid in one particular segment, he'll be stupid in one particular segment. I don't know if he's just not thinking this through or not, but he makes uh, something, an admission, if you will. Well, they, they make a mistake, in my opinion, in this next clip. It's fascinating. Uh, the CBO reports, the Congressional Budget Office reports that this will cost uh, cost $186 billion, translating into a $114 billion increase in deficits over the next decade. It's remarkable. So on their first day at work, they increased the deficit by over $100 billion? That's right. $186 billion $114 billion in new debt or something. I don't remember exactly what it was. But now, how would that be? If what the reporter he's talking to, if Michael is telling the truth, these jobs are customer relations and computer people and simply replacing people as they retire. How does not hiring 87,000 people lead to a massive $186 billion deducted in uh, revenues over the next 10 years? How does that work? Well, I was going to pay my taxes, but nobody answered the phone when I called up to just see how's it going. So you know what? They have poor customer relations. I am going to give them a one-star Yelp review and not pay my taxes. I don't think that's how it works not how it should work <laughs> it does work in real life no the only way that the congressional budget office could project that this is going to cost money is if hiring these people was going to bring in money right that's how they're doing it that's what i meant when i said that these jobs were introduced by and large to make biden's massive spending bill balance be you know budget neutral 
There aren't 87,000 people out there qualified to be IRS agents waiting for it. I, they just don't exist in this country. There's not 87,000 accountants out there going, oh, here's my chance to work for the federal government. This was an accounting gimmick to begin with. So getting rid of this accounting gimmick would not really cost anything in the grand scheme of things, but to because the Republicans did it, and because the, because the Republicans did it, the left has to oppose it. Joe Scarborough has to oppose it. He's nothing if not an obedient dog. So he has to come out and say, this is an outrage, and this is going to cost, according to the Congressional Budget Office, a ton of money. How, Joe? How could not having somebody answer the phones and or be doing customer service or just working on the technical aspects of the computers inside there, how is that going to cost $186 billion? No, it doesn't. According to CBO World, the only way that actually costs money is those 87,000 IRS agents will not be there to do an additional God knows how many hundreds of thousands, if not millions of audits, shakedowns, scare the hell out of people. That's where it comes from. That's what it is. That's what's going on. But they don't know that. So they say, these were never going to be agents. These aren't agents at all. They're not. They're just customer service. And oh, by the way, the lack of existence of these agents is going to cost us money. Anybody connecting those dots besides me? Yeah, they're full of it. They're full of it. They're stu well, they could just be stupid. I got to be fair to them. They could just be stupid. They might be. I suspect that Joe is full of it. I think he knows better. I think that the reporter is just stupid because she's young and she doesn't know any better. But she's on cable television. You'd think that cable television might, the producers might go, hey, we should probably get somebody who knows something about this on. But when they don't, when they choose somebody who doesn't know anything about it but says all the right things, tells you all you really need to know about cable television, doesn't it? Does to me. And I'm cynical. Boy, howdy, am I cynical. But every day the left surpasses even my cynicism. As we wrap it up, I want to turn our attention a little bit to the, uh, the the latest in the trans wars. It really is amazing how these leftists can look at things and just go, I don't care. I'm going to see it my way. I'm not going to let the facts or reality stand in the good way of a good story. And they use this bastardized language of gender-affirming care. Seven-year-old says, I want to play with Barbies. Oh, what we got to do right there is get you on some uh, hormones right now, prevent you from ever sniffing puberty what i what i just you know i'm stuck here with nothing but barbies so i'm gonna play with barbies or you know doesn't matter you're probably trans no no you can't let anybody i don't know grow out of it or just have fun or let kids be kids everything has to be politics you got to destroy people and it is the ultimate test of obedience it says something about people it says something really sick about people that they could hear, oh, this uh, 10-year-old wants to have uh, uh, this procedure or whatever. Yeah, all right, that's, you just accept it. It, it says something about, because the, the threat is, if you don't, you're a monster and we'll come after you. And so you've got adults just simply obeying. The obedience to child abuse is disgusting and disturbing. 
But it's how, look, if they can get you to believe that a man is a woman and a woman is a man, they can get you to believe almost anything. And if they can get you to remain silent as they butcher the bodies of children while bastardizing reality, then what can't they get you to do? Honestly. The obedience that everybody says, oh, the German people just sat by while the Holocaust happened. That same mentality, certainly not in the scope, at least not yet, but that same mentality is on display all over the world, everywhere leftists have power. They're doing the same damn concept. Something horrible is going on, but they make disobedience, they make it too scary to be disobedient. Well, if I say something, they might come after me. And so they live, they create this world where they go further and further toward the absurd, toward the obscene, towards the disgusting. And you lose that sense of outrage that normal people have, and you become a cog in the machine. You might not be a a marcher down the street, although sadly far too many of our fellow Americans are, but you don't have to be a marcher in the streets. I've told you before, the uh, the history of humanity, particularly in the 20th century, when they got the means to really do these things, is a very small percentage of a population doing god-awful, terrible things. Without popular support, and they eventually gained popular support as well, they're not, yeah, because the alternative to supporting them was death, Right? Things got out of hand really quickly because 5% of the population went rabid. And the the 95 just kind of sat there in horror going, well, they'll, they'll eventually come to their senses, right? No, they don't. They need to be put down. They need to be put out of power. They need to be destroyed. They can't just be defeated. They have to be destroyed. And that leads us to what happened on MSNBC yesterday. There's a discussion with... Uh, NBC Out report because news not only has skin color because there's different race news now. NBC News Black, NBC News Hispanic, NBC News Hispanic. There's also NBC News Out, which means that uh, news also has a sexual orientation. Now, it's I, they don't yet have NBC News Trans, but I promise you there are internal memos at NBC News discussing that, and it's only a matter of time. This person is named Joe, Joe, J-O, Yurkaba or something like that. I don't know what Joe is. I suspect Joe's a woman, but I can't be sure anymore. And all I know is I don't care. They're talking about anti-trans. Listen, just listen to the language that these people use. And imagine these people are paid well to talk with this gobbledygook. But the audience is not paid to lap it up. They do so willingly and or out of fear. A week into 2023 and across the country, people are already seeing a wave of anti-transgender legislation making its way into state houses across the country. More than two dozen bills looking to restrict trans health care access have already been introduced in 11 states so far this year. You see them here. In Texas, three separate bills would classify gender-affirming care for minors as child abuse. And then Oklahoma bill would ban gender-affirming care for anybody, anybody under the age of 26. I want to bring in NBC Out reporter Joe Yurkeba. So, Joe, talk about these new bills coming forward this year, who they're targeting, et cetera. 
Yeah, so many of these bills, like you mentioned, seek to restrict or ban access to gender-affirming health care completely, and that includes hormone therapy, puberty blockers, and surgery for anyone under 18. But some of them are taking it up a notch this year, like Oklahoma's, for example, which would bar that care for people up to 25 and would block coverage for that care under the state's Medicaid plan for anyone. <laughs> you got to love it. Gender-affirming care. Gender-affirming care. Well, gender-affirming care. God made a mistake. we got to somehow find a way to, to fix God's mistake. Up to 20, 25 years old. Well, weren't we just told a couple years ago by Democrats that people need to stay on their parents' health insurance until they're 26 years old because they're not really adults, they're children, and blah, blah, blah. Then you, okay. Well, you can't have it both ways, can you? Can you? They want it both ways. What I also find funny is they don't want to do it for Medicare. Medi oh, for Medicaid, for the health insurance for the poor. They want to, there are already people joining the military because the military will pay for their sex change operations. They're, now they want the, the health care plan for the poor. They want those dollars eaten up by this group of people. Messed up situation. Maybe you, you would be able to take care of yourself if you weren't wrestling with the mental illness of gender dysphoria. Oh, did I say that? I did say that. I'm sorry. Sorry, I'm a hate crimer. They continued. Um, and then we have a bill in Texas that seeks to completely bar minors from attending drag performances in the state. So what we're seeing is really an escalation of, legis of, uh, of this legislation and protests on drag shows that we've seen over the last two years. You describe it as an escalation. Part of that is because we saw record anti-trans legislation last year um, and, you know, more last year than the year before, et cetera, et cetera. Um, talk about where the trend lines are going and what this means for people in the LGBTQ plus community. Yeah, well, advocates in Texas have told me that they expect things to get a lot worse before they get better. Um, and so even if these bills don't pass, they say they still have an impact. A recent national survey, for example, from the Trevor Project found that 85 percent of trans and non-binary youth across the country said debates on this legislation have negatively impacted their mental health. Yeah, because they have mental issues. Of course, it's going to negatively impact their mental health. But what's telling you, the Trevor Project is a Wait for it, a trans activist group. Guess what they found? They found that daring to question anything that they make money off of threatens the mental health of people who are having mental health issues, who desperately need mental health help, which up until 20 minutes ago, they did receive mental health help. It was called gender dysphoria. Now it's just, well, it's normal and you can be anything you want. Why? Because uh, the left has an agenda. And if people have to be you know, destroyed in the process, then so be it. You gotta love this crap. The 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 Orwellian use of language and abuse of language. Oh, gender affirming care. Now they're saying even talking about this is the this is the cornerstone. Even talking about it is problematic, causes mental problems for some people. <laughs> Tough. Get used to it. Buckle up, Buttercup. We're just getting started, but we're out of time for today. Never stop talking about it. If it makes leftists uncomfortable, good. Talk about it more and louder. We'll be back to do it all over again tomorrow because, like I say, the stupidity never stops. We will stand here ever vigilant, guarding against it. Appreciate you listening. See you tomorrow. Thank you.